Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for Episode 6 of Season 1 of This Osteopathic Life. We delve again into the osteopathic tenets today, and today we're focusing on the third tenet, that structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. And if you've been listening over the past few episodes, you'll recall that there are four tenets of osteopathic medicine, and we utilize these as guiding lights, as core principles, as the underscore, underlying philosophy of our practice. And I'll review all four of them here for completion. Number one, the body is a unit. The person is a unit of body, mind, and spirit. Number two, the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. Number three, in the focus of today's episode, structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. And number four, Rational treatment is based upon an understanding of the basic principles of body unity, self-regulation, and the interrelationship of structure and function. And today's concept is one I've been really excited to talk about. And interestingly, when I was writing an outline for these first few episodes, I wrote this one first. And when I went and researched further and resourced these concepts, you know, on the AOA, the American Osteopathic Association's homepage, they're in the order that I just read to you. But when I think of them, I always put structure and function initially. And as I was doing some research again today, one of my colleagues also noted that as the first principle of osteopathic medicine. I just found that to be kind of fascinating. And I wondered kind of where that school of thought came from. As I consider this concept and philosophy, this one at the surface level lends itself most directly to the concept and the consideration we often attribute to DOs or doctors of osteopathic medicine that we use osteopathic manipulative treatment or hands-on treatment for various issues. And while that's true and particularly true for me and for my colleagues who are certified in neuromusculoskeletal medicine, in osteopathic manipulative medicine. As I've explored this osteopathic life in the mission and vision of what we hope to accomplish is that osteopathic manipulative treatment or OMT is a tool that we implement based on evaluation utilizing these principles, but it isn't osteopathy. And in this case, As much as it's very clear how it relates, it's also most exciting for me to expand this concept 
um, in both directions because we're talking about reciprocal interrelatedness. And so it's going both ways between structure and function. And also expanding this concept beyond what we traditionally consider with osteopathic medicine and a doctor-patient relationship. But how can we even broader expand our scope of what it means to have this significant relationship between structure and function? So on its surface level, we look at it mechanically. You know, the structure of the system of the human body influences the function and vice versa. As we explore the history of osteopathic medicine and Dr. Still's discovery that the musculoskeletal system could be a map. It could serve as a map and a, a means of investigating and confirming findings of other parts of the exam, restrictions in the muscles and the bones and the nervous system structures could reveal underlying disease processes. They could be related to them. And removing those restrictions or somatic dysfunctions or restrictions in the system could help with that disease process. And you can see where it's a bit of the chicken and the egg or the cyclical system where you might have the underlying cause in the viscera, in the organs, say in your stomach. Um, And you could have evidence of that in the musculoskeletal system through shared nerve pathways in the mid-back between the shoulder blades. Likewise, you could have trauma between the shoulder blades. You could get smacked in the back. You could fall. And because that nervous system is irritated, those pathways have restricted space to move and blood flow and mobility. And you could then get an erroneous input, improper input into the stomach and create dysfunction that way. So it can go in both directions. And sometimes it's a matter of reprogramming, interrupting those negative pathways and messages and resetting them back to the normal baseline function. That's one way to think about the structure and function relationship. I think it's important, as I've gone through and talked about the premise of osteopathic medicine to, from a medical perspective, improve what's being offered. As we said, Dr. Still saw failings of the medical system in his lifetime during the period of the Civil War and sought to improve upon that and dug deeper into anatomy and physiology and these mechanical relationships to help improve what was being offered to improve the health of his patients, of his family, of himself. But he also had great respect for the grand design, you know, for the inherent perfection and capacity for health and healing in the human body at its baseline. It's important, I think, to note when I've said, you know, the challenge to osteopathic physicians is to do better than what's presented, what's the standard of care? How can we augment and support and facilitate the treatment to help optimize the health? We're not doing better than the grand design. We're doing better than these human systems we've created to support health, to counteract a lot of what modern life has brought as health challenges to us, but we're honoring that the perfection exists in the system and seeking to allow it to return to that is really the ultimate goal. Considering what modern life brings to us, repetitive motions associated with our work, 
you know, with athletes who are training very sport specific at a younger and younger age, postures that don't honor the design of the human form. You know, we weren't meant to sit in chairs. We were meant to be supported by the structure of our own system, by those muscles and spinal alignment and utilizing these solid structures and relationships within the body. You were meant to walk barefoot. The foot is designed to be a supportive structure and we're meant to be on uneven surfaces. And so since we flatten things out and create harder surfaces and perhaps are outside in seasons or in regions um, that are less forgiving, we then create things like shoes. Uh, But we also have to face then the impact of those interruptions to our natural inherent capacities and have to address them that way. Similarly, we design items for our convenience, but that also interrupt normal human form and function. Again, chairs, cars, you know, we weren't meant to sit for so long. We're creatures who are ambulatory and use walking as our primary mode of transportation. And we interrupt that, then we have to intervene again to help restore normal function because we're not achieving it just through our routine activities of daily living. And that is where some of those mechanical enhancements that can come through the application of osteopathic manipulative treatment as appropriate can improve this relationship. But I think the onus is always on us to, again, backtrack even more, you know, take a step further back and gain better perspective on, again, what is interrupting this inherent capacity? What structural compromise have we created that we can remove? You know, removing barriers to health isn't just in the system, but between the patient and their world. So again, things like time in chairs, use of footwear, items of convenience that stop us from perhaps using our muscles in our structural system as it was initially designed. And this isn't to say I'm against all innovation. I'm speaking today, recording this podcast in Santa Cruz, and I'm living in Michigan, and I was able to get here in the course of a day and fit the capacity for this conference into my work week. And it's allowing me to meet with individuals and learn and connect with a friend and see the beauty of the ocean. So I I respect innovation. I utilize innovation. But I also recognize when it's challenging. It was uncomfortable to sit in a plane seat for four hours. It felt great to get up and to stretch and hinge at my hips and sit in a deep squat and sit in a tripod posture on the chair when I couldn't sit in a squatting position to stack my spine. And so I'm trying to implement as many natural interruptions to these matters of convenience to achieve a state of balance. And through application of all of these principles, coming to a balance point is always the ultimate goal. One thing I like to think about with structure and function is a building. So we design buildings, hopefully, with the function of whatever it's going to house in mind. And I think about my children's school, where they're currently enrolled, and they just got approval to rebuild nearby, on-site, and they're not going to take down the previous building, which is encouraging that they're going to restore that and repurpose it. And in this new building... My brother-in-law happens to be on the construction team. Uh, He's one of the bidding leaders for this project. And 
you know, we've discussed in his experience in the different visioning committees, what principles are they using to guide this? And I, I hope, and I've heard, you know, hints of this as I've listened to his descriptors of what takes place of, you know, multi-purpose rooms and flow and space. And I see this again in both directions. If we think about what the function of this place is, you know, to foster learning and nurturing and development for children and a positive experience for the teachers and the administrators who will serve them um, in a place where people need to be able to eat and have recreation indoors and outdoors and salvage and promote the arts and have appropriately sized bathrooms for both adults and children. So looking at the purposes of this building and how we could put structure in place to optimize that function and that the function predicts in some ways the structure of the building. I consider that as well when we're looking at efficiency and cost and purpose and size. The clinic where I'm working in Michigan is a beautiful space and it has a gathering space and a teaching kitchen and a movement studio and it has some treatment rooms and a lab as well as a market but it doesn't have a traditional doctor's office feel intentionally. It's trying to shift the experience of engagement with a physician and experience of health and health care and development of a health experience. And we've kind of gone round and round in our discussions on what is the best use of the space and what is our intention for, what is its purpose. And it dawned on me the other day that you know, I've been trying to force it to be what it's not, you know, kind of make a direct change and say we need it to be, you know, a traditional doctor's office and we're gonna have to make that work despite the fact that we don't have a front desk person and that we have all these big open rooms that don't lend themselves to the privacy of the one-on-one conversation that we expect in a physician office. And that's not how I approach patient care if I think about how I implement osteopathic manipulative treatment or the hands-on care, I'm very indirect. I don't go to barriers. I go to points of ease. I, you know, listen with my hands to the structures and, you know, help support them in the way they want to go. They're able to go. That honors, again, their inherent capacities. And I took pause and I thought about that same concept with the space and with the practice And rather than the forcing it, I observed and implemented some engagements with groups that seemed more aligned with the structure of the space. And those events functioned beautifully and easily and with a grand simplicity that still honored the health. It was still medical. It was very osteopathic. And it was just trusting the structure of the space. We utilized all those big rooms and we flowed through them through the course of a half day. And each space allowed the primary teacher in that segment of the workshop to speak from their place of expertise with authenticity. And it truly struck a chord with the attendees of that workshop because they knew they were receiving 
the best of what the space and the people had to offer. And structure and function supported each other very harmoniously in that moment. And I think there's room for us and there's a need for us to really do that in many places in our life, starting with ourselves. And again, I can give you my own example. My whole life, writing was easy for me. I still remember the story that I tried to retell to my children, not as effectively as I wrote it, but back when I was a second grader and I I would work ahead with different grade levels for writing, and we had to make up a fable, and mine was how the skunk got its stripe, and it called for a two-page paper, maybe with a picture, you know, and I wrote six pages and had a cover, and I established the whole thing, and overproduced and in high school I loved English class it was often first hour which is a challenge for me and I would read the books and I would often wake up early the day of and write the paper and it frustrated my teacher to no end um, because likely I would imagine I was an oversharer uh, lifelong and would disclose this information and was often running late for class and the papers were good And she would notice that and say, you know, it's frustrating because I know it could even be better if you had spent more time with it. Um, But even in the short period of time, I would produce a high quality piece of writing. And I loved comparative essays. I still, that would be my favorite thing to write going forward. And I'll shout out to Miss DeLong for that inspiration. And I fought it. So I loved writing, and writing was easy, and I often thought, if it's easy, I already can do it, so I shouldn't, and I should, you know, seek to challenge myself in other areas, and I was decent at math and science, and I always wanted to engage in medicine. That was a vision I had for many years of my life from a young age, but it certainly wasn't my place of ease, especially when it came to organic chemistry, when You couldn't just kind of take notes and take the test and pass. You had to do a lot of homework and lab reports and extra time. And this did not feel easy to me. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have to work hard for anything. But I am suggesting we perhaps should take pause. And sometimes when things are easy for us, it's not, you know, copping out to follow that path. It might be honoring our true spirit in the grand design of how we were created and what our natural talents are. And taking that gift of ease and investing more time in it will build our competency in that region. And again, if math and science were your true passion and just you needed more work because it wasn't your state of ease, I support that. But I think it's important to do that consciously and with intention. And to think back again to when I was little, what were those things that I could just do? You know, it just came naturally to me and I enjoyed it. I think that's still important. Sometimes we are good at things but I have very little interest in them. But oftentimes I wonder, you know, if there's this drive for, you know, the merits of hard work, if we sometimes ignore those things that are natural for us. We should still apply work to them, but perhaps accept that gift, you know, of being ahead of the curve if it ties into our natural talents. I think about that with the sports gene, you know, there's some people just based on the alignment of their skeletal system or the springiness of their muscles or the ratio of fast and slow twitch muscle fibers that make them 
naturally inclined for a sport, you know, so some athletes that just can naturally jump higher and are, you know, suited to high jump or to hurdles and, and they still have to work hard. Uh, But again, they have a bit of a natural advantage and it's not wrong to play into that. It's honoring the structure and finding the optimal function from within that. Um, So I think it's important to just consider, do I follow my natural tendencies? Do they bring me joy? Am I willing to accept that gift and honor it and apply hard work there and see if I can even broaden the brushstrokes and expand on those opportunities? Another consideration I have with structure came from reading the book Bringing Up Bebe, B-E-B-E, the French parenting analysis. And it's a U.S. citizen, a woman who moves to France and is observing the cultural differences. And it's been years since I read it, but the the takeaway I recall uh, with the greatest reverence and hope for applying in my life, and it's a constant struggle, it is not my point of ease to apply this, but when I do, things work better, is the sense of cadre or, or framework. And one of the biggest disparities, discrepancies, differences this woman noted between French culture and American culture surrounding parenting was there was often this hovering, this micromanagement from the American side, this constant feedback and demands and expectations and, you know, moment to moment to moment to second where the parents were engaging with their children, making micro-corrections, you know, limitations, new rules, where in the French system, and again, these are grand generalizations, but were relatively consistent on her observation of the two cultures, was to establish a framework. So a general guideline of rules generally focused on safety, you know, in the park, staying in a certain area, not crossing the road. But within that, letting the children be relatively free. So creating a gentle structure, you know, still firm at its outermost boundaries, but not with all these inner layers and webs and wonderings and worryings that can sometimes be exasperating. You know, it's, and I'll notice this at dinner time particularly, we'll give a lot of direction to our children. I have to sometimes just think, back up, you know, we have some basics, stay seated at the table, eat with your silverware, you chew with your mouth closed and kind of let it be and not constantly make corrections the whole time. Why are you holding that? Sit up taller. Where's your napkin? Where's this? And it's overwhelming to give all those directions and it's overwhelming for our children to receive them. And so creating a firm, broad boundary, but giving flexibility within it and establishing some freedom and trust and by having that sound but gentle structure improves the function of those relationships. It allows development of autonomy you know, for the children and a greater sense of ease for the parents. They don't have to be involved in every moment along the way. I think about that with bridges. You know, They require elements of flexibility so that when wind moves through, they can bend and sway and give but not break. And if we can find that sweet spot between stability and a solid foundation but with an element of flexibility and i think that's where humanity comes into play we can truly optimize function through its relationship 
with structure. As I think about these governing principles and how they help us guide our decisions, you know, I think they're, they're gifts and they create that gentle framework for us to be able to just stop and pause and have a clearer lens, you know, a more high quality mirror to reflect our patients' experience and story back to them so they can hear their sense of unity, body, mind, and spirit, the systems of their body, their relationship in community with the world. So they can hear that they have the capacity to be well, to heal, that they're always in the process of healing. Sometimes it's slower than we'd like, and sometimes it gets interrupted and it needs more support along the way. But they can remember when they were well, and that can be encouraging. We can highlight for them those correlations between structure and function. Oftentimes, my patients with that pain between the shoulder blades, and I might say, have you been having some issues with heartburn? And they say, yeah, like, why would you ask me that? I'm talking about my back pain. When I explain that relationship, they can say, oh, yes, like, it has been bothering me, you know, since I had this upset stomach or since I shifted my eating to include this food that might be irritating. And we can draw that correlation and we get get to the root cause. And that's what I feel our greatest gifts are in applying these principles. And we'll get into that further as we explore the fourth one, which generally tells us how to engage with patients utilizing these three core concepts, core elements of osteopathic philosophy. Again, it's not to say that all of these are unique to osteopathic medicine, but they're unique in as much as doctors still wrote them down in conjunction, talked about clinical applications with structure, but again, enough flexibility that they have space to evolve with the times, with the development of medicine, with the knowledge that each person as the physician is going to apply them differently and each patient is going to require them applied in a unique way for them and for them moment to moment based on their life experience and exposures. And this one with structure and function does lend itself again to our unique tool in medicine of applying osteopathic manipulative treatment to influence the musculoskeletal system in a positive way so that it can have a supportive influence on the function of the system. On a deeper level, I think the relationship between structure and function can so broadly be expanded. And we talked about a few specific examples in this podcast, but I would challenge you to consider, you know, where do you see structure influencing function in one direction or the other or both or in a circular manner? And how can you help support that? You know, can you shift the function? Can you interrupt those repetitive movements and postures so that that function that doesn't really line up with how we were designed doesn't have a chance to negatively impact the structure. You know, if you always walk a certain way or carry a bag on one side, eventually we wear things out. We shorten muscles. We wear out joint spaces because we're not balanced in that approach. So in that case, changing our function to be more balanced will help optimize 
preservation of the structure. You know, if you've suffered a broken leg as an obvious, you know, more gross injury, gross meaning on a broader scale, bigger scale, are there things to support that structure? You know, have you done rehab so that you have built resilience and optimize the structure of that limb to better support the function of walking in your family you know what structural challenges are there to the function of your family and we can look on a very obvious level structure we think of buildings so how is the home set up does everyone have the space they need do you have clutter in the home is the structure positively or negatively influencing the function? Who has responsibility to maintain that? Would shifting that help with the function of the family? And on an internal level, can we talked about playing to our strengths or at least pausing to think about if we don't and we perhaps used to, what, what stopped that? And could that be optimized? You know, what functional role do you picture for yourself personally in relationships financially in your career and what structure needs to be in place to support that what structure might be interrupting that that needs augmentation in schools again from the building perspective are we creating structures that support the function are we honoring the true function you know of educating the mind, spirit, body of those young humans that we're trying to raise up to be good citizens of the world. I think it's exciting and I hope you'll find inspiration to consider these principles both in your engagement with physicians, for my physician colleagues who are listening and how they can hone in on them and kind of restore that spirit of patient engagement and for everyone on a broader level. Thank you for listening. As I said, next time we'll come back and tie these together and look at some broader applications of all of them in concert for the best health of all things. This is This Osteopathic Life. I'm Dr. Amelia Beakey. Thank you for listening.